All right, so today we're starting a new series. You can see it up there. The Path to Success, Lessons Learned from Saul and David. This one is going to be geared far more towards us millennials and our short-term attention span. Instead of being seven months like the Sermon on the Mount, this will only be six weeks. Most of you have an idea of who Saul and David were. Both men were kings of Israel 3,000 years ago. Saul was the first and David was his successor. Based on what you know, who, whom would you deem successful from this pair? David, right? If you grew up going to Sunday school, you know Saul was bad, David was good, which in a lot of ways is true. But what I want you to think about right now as we start this series is that both of these men were real people just like you and me. Both had strengths and weaknesses. Both made good and bad choices and reaped the consequences of those choices. Both had dreams and desires for their lives. Now, I believe that one of their desires was to be successful. Success, according to the Webster Dictionary, a favorable or desired outcome. A favorable or desired outcome. We're going to spend the next five weeks looking at how Saul and David pursued success. Through this, we will hopefully gain insight on how we can be successful in our lives. But tonight... I'm going to focus more on defining success. Now, I believe it is deep within everyone. There's this drive to be successful. Whatever we enjoy or pour our time and energy into, we have a desire to do it really well. Whether it's your job, school, your hobbies, or your relationships, there is a pull within everyone to do well what they have determined as important. Now, as I've been pondering this, my logic has led me to reason that we desire to be successful at work, play, and in relationship because we desire to be successful in life. The parts contribute to the whole. Jack, if you wouldn't mind putting up that equation. Maybe you learn more visually. The parts add up to the whole. We believe that if we can do really well in the smaller aspects of life, then that will cause our life as a whole to be what we want it to be. Which poses a question for me. In the midst of our continually changing life, right, you always get older, your bodies get fatter, people's influence on you is different every single day, work comes and goes, constantly changing, circumstances, sickness, whatever comes into your life, right? Our lives are continually changing. In the midst of this, how would you describe the best life? You know, another definition of success, having achieved popularity, profit, or distinction. So if you wouldn't mind going to the next one. A plus B plus C equals the successful life. Now, this is definitely the the definition that our culture would use to define success. It is what we are continually taught through media should be the goal in this life. That through popularity, profit, or distinction, we will have the life that we have always wanted. But I feel like this is too shallow. It's too contingent on circumstances, always going our way, which does not happen. There's things in life that we have no control over. So for me, as I was considering this, I believe at the core of every person is a desire to be content and to have purpose. So far beyond popularity, profit, or distinction, we have this desire to be content and to have purpose. 
I think we're always looking for happiness that will not end. Contentment is is a foundational piece that we're always trying to hunt down. And in order to have this, we need a sense of worth to know that we have a purpose that is important, even essential. So go to the next one, please. So switch it out. Jobs plus hobby plus relationships being successful equals purpose and contentment, otherwise known as a successful life. We think things like, if I can run a business that is popular and make, makes money, then I will have a successful life. If I can complete a half marathon and then next year run a full, if I can own enough houses to supplement my income, if I can raise my kids to be respectful and get good grades, if I can impress my supervisors and continue to get promoted, if I can earn the favor of all of my friends, then I will have the life I want. I will have purpose and contentment. And I have tried all of these things. I was a, a passionate pothead for 13 years. Right? Even partiers give it their whole. I climbed rocks five days a week for almost a decade. I married an extremely beautiful woman. I run a business now with hopes that I only get five stars. And I want to be a pastor that brings tears to the eyes of his audience. Right? A plus B plus C equals what I want. My thought is accomplishing these smaller steps can bring happiness, worth, and a sense of purpose, which they do but it's only for the moment. But we so often operate out of the assumption that these lives will lead to a life full of goodness. Unfortunately, it seems like we build our equations for for a successful life incorrectly. Let me ask you some questions. Have you ever had plenty of money and not felt content? Have you ever accomplished a physical feat? running, biking, climbing, skating, whatever, then a week later felt stir-crazy and wanted to do something else, something more? Have things ever been going really good with all of your important relationships and you still feel the need for more? Now, for me, none of my endeavors that I listed have ever left me content for more than just a moment. It seems that we start with the parts and assume that they will lead to our desired whole instead of starting with our desired outcome and then figuring out how to make it happen. So go ahead and switch this around. So what if we just locked in on our desired outcome in life is to have purpose and contentment? We start there and then work backwards to try to figure out how to get there. You know, I'm the one with the microphone, and so you might have a different definition of what the ultimate goal is in life, but I'm just going to focus us in on contentment and purpose. I feel like we want to be continually satisfied. Imagine knowing, truly believing that you have all that you need and to not have to be constantly searching for something else or something more. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? Now, a major source of this contentment is having purpose or direction on how to spend your time and resources. Instead of aimlessly wandering through life, we desire to be focused on accomplishing things that we deem worthwhile. Now, I believe that contentment and purpose is at the core of everyone's desire for their lives. If we had these things, we would say that we were successful. Again, 
I said this before, but I think that's why we pour so much time into our jobs, our hobbies, and our relationships. We assume that these are our purposes and that if we do these things really well, then we will be content, which is a logical train of thought. Would you remember the questions I asked you earlier? How often do those things, your job, your hobbies, and your relationships bring you lasting contentment? So how do we solve this equation? What things will lead to our deep desire? Now, because we are so finite and flawed, in order to answer this, we have to go to a higher source of wisdom. Now, according to the Christian faith and endless scientific proof, you were created. There is an all-powerful creator that formed everything out of nothing, including you. Let's start looking at the Bible. Genesis 2. In the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, when no plant or field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He intentionally made you for right here and right now. Psalms 139. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. This is talking about you and me. There are specific reasons why you are who you are and why you are alive right now. Jeremiah 1.5. For we are... Yeah, sorry, go to Ephesians 2. That's a better one. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Think about the way that that connects to you right now. That you are what God has made you. That you were created for good works that God prepared beforehand to be your way of life. The all-creator, all-powerful creator of everything specifically created you for this time and place. It's amazing. He speaks this direct line to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I, was con- I consecrated you or set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The same is true of you. Your creator has specific plans for you. That's why he made you. Are you understanding the baseline philosophy that I'm trying to hammer into your brain? Max Lucado put it this way. You weren't an accident. You were deliberately planned. Now, if we believe this and operate in this lens, where should we go to find our purpose? To our creator. If something was created and they continually turn to themselves or other creations like them for advice on how they should live, will they ever be able to understand the best way that they can operate? No. We are far too constrained by our own limited perspective. It's like a bunch of mice or hamsters trying to figure out the world outside their cage. 
But if we turn to the one who made us, then and only then can you understand the reason why you were created. Now, I know this is a really big question. God, what is my purpose? Why did you put me in America in the 21st century? Now, this is a question that people ponder, and very few really come to the answer to it. But tonight, I want you to walk away thinking about two essential pieces to this elusive answer. First one, your purpose will always stem from the two greatest commandments. And your creator is extremely interactive. So let's look at the two greatest commandments. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, the beauty of this riddle is that Jesus gives us a very black and white answer. Matthew 22. Pharisee comes up to him. Teacher, which commandment is in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's take a little time to unpack this. Now, the Pharisee is more or less asking the same question. Jesus, what is the major reason why a person is created? He answers the law and the prophets. Now, the law is uh, 611 commandments that God gave to the Israelites. The law was there to given to them to help them guide, to be a guide for the best way for them to live. Now, out of these commandments, God intended a people to be created, a culture that would naturally direct his people on how he created them to operate. The prophets, they were men and women sent by God to call his people back to the law, back to the way that they were designed to live. So in this passage, Jesus is basically saying that the entire Old Testament Every story and every law that God gave stems out of God's desire for people to love him and for for them to love others. Now, the more I ponder these verses and the framework that they establish, the more I appreciate Jesus' direct and simple answer. You were created to love God with every piece of who you are. And you were created to love people the way that you want to be loved. This is the basis of your life. So does that mean that we should just pull away to monasteries on mountaintops and spend most of our days in prayer and studying the Bible? The only time we come down is for some sort of selfless act of serving the poor? Now these things are good for a time, but if that's all that you were created to do, then why were you given the talents that you have? Why are you passionate about your profession, your hobbies, and the people that you love? Now, I believe that we have been each precisely designed and specifically placed in this time and place so that way we can uniquely love God and love others. Through your job, your hobbies, and your relationships, you have the ability to do this to fulfill the two greatest commandments. In each, each and every day that you are in these areas of your life, you have the chance to deeply love God through prayer. Every moment of every day, we have the choice to focus our minds onto God, to be thankful for what he has given you, to seek his wisdom on a choice that lies in front of you, to ask his help with problems that you are having, 
One of my favorite things about riding a bike up in the hills, right, go up into the back roads, Sylvan Lake, Custer State Park, all those things, part of it's the adrenaline that I get and the endorphins that are pumped through my brain and the big grin on my face when I'm passing cars on the way down and they look at me really strangely. But the main reason that I like doing this is because it's a chance for me to meditate on the one who made me. It's a time in which I can pull away from so many distractions and simply make God my priority. We also have the ability to love God in our everyday lives through worship. Worship is defined as the act of showing respect and love for God. In the midst of every setting in your life, there are always opportunities to worship God, to tell a coworker about how good God has been to you. I know it's nerve-wracking, but it's a way to worship God. To ask somebody you knit with about their deeper beliefs or encourage them to check out the God of the Bible. One of my favorite things about being an employer is my employee cannot get away from me. I'm paying them to be there. And so it gives me the opportunity to ask them questions and find out more of who they are. I just follow them around. There's nobody that can tell me to back away. And inevitably, I get to know more about what they believe, and then I can slowly start to encourage them about who the God of the Bible is. You have the same opportunity to do it in a far less creepy way. We also have the ability to show our love and respect for God by using our talents. Now, GMP is a perfect example of this. Now, Derek and Shelby started a skate ministry 15 years ago, and they use skateboarding to build relationships with people so that way they can tell them about the God of the Bible. Your talents can be beautiful connection points to people so that way you can worship God by telling them of how good he has been to you. When we begin looking through the lens that we are created to love God with every part of our life, then we will continually see ways to do this through the smaller things in our lives that are important and bring us enjoyment. Right? We are given these smaller things because we enjoy them. We don't have to strip them away to be followers of Jesus. Now, it's the exact same with the second greatest commandment, loving others the way that you've always wanted to be loved. Wherever or however you interact with other people, you have the opportunity to show them love. It can be through a smile or kind words at the grocery store. It can be through making time to listen to your coworker or to encourage them, planning a special outing with someone you love, giving your time or money to Young Life or serving meals down at the Cornerstone. There's so many opportunities. In the same way you can make loving God your priority through your normal, loving others can also be integrated into the everyday world of your job, your hobbies, and your relationships. Now, according to Jesus, when we do this, when we operate out of these motivations, then we will be living the way that we are created to live. When we live out of our original design, then we can experience the life that Jesus promised to his followers, an abundant life. John 10.10, a life that is full to the brim with contentment and purpose. You were made to love God and to love others. If nothing else, walk away with that bouncing around inside your skull. The second thing 
It's important to know when you're asking yourself the question of why am I here is that your creator, the one that made you, is extremely interactive. According to the Bible and countless stories throughout all of human history, God himself is continually interacting with his creation. Whether it is miraculous and undeniable or subtle but persistent, the one that made you wants to guide you into his purposes for your life. Now, a major way that he seems to do this is through his spirit, capital S. If you believe that Jesus is God and that he died a sacrificial death for you and your brokenness, then the Holy Spirit has direct access to your mind, your emotions, and your willpower, what the Bible refers to as your heart. This means that God himself has the ability to guide you, to influence your thoughts, to stir up certain emotions, to plant desires within you to accomplish specific things. This is why GMP exists. This is why I'm a pastor of Rimrock Downtown. This is why there are countless other mission-based organizations. This is why Saul and David were kings of Israel, because God stepped into people's lives in order to make his plan more obvious. Now, I believe that every single specific plan that God impresses on people is directly rooted in the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving others. But they are each precisely engineered to fit the individual involved, you, with your strengths, your desires, your situation and position in life. I firmly believe that God has specific plans for you in your life a customized plan designed around you. Through this, God will be given glory and other people will experience a love that catches their attention and potentially brings about a needed change in their life. But it's not just for them. Through this, you will experience what you innately desire. Purpose. Contentment. And I think this is why Paul could say what he said about contentment. Let's look at Philippians 4. This one has always just boggled my mind how somebody could have this. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, I think a reason why the reason why Paul got to this is because he understood his dependence on God, how he needs to fully depend on the one who made him. And out of this dependence came his purpose, right? What God called him to accomplish during the days that he was given. That then led to contentment. So if you wouldn't mind showing the last equation. Another way to think about this. So if we start with purpose and contentment and we work our way backwards based on the biblical context, your job, your relationships, and your hobbies, when they are rooted in loving God and loving others, I believe that they can lead you to what you innately desire, a purpose that you want to be a part of, something that drives you, right, wakes you up and gets you going. And out of that purpose, right, that desire to always want more and more and more and just see your life as empty is slowly taken away. 
and you can have that contentment that God designed you to have through your job, relationships, and hobbies that are founded on the principles of loving God and loving others. You know, as we end, I just want to ask one more question. Of course, I'm going to be the one to answer it. Why should we trust God that he can give us our deepest desires? Right? This is something that all of humanity for all time has been wanting to find. Like, how can I get this contentment and purpose? It's just this nagging question that's within every individual. So why the God of the Bible? Because he made you. Today exists only because he wanted it to. The only reason that you have breath in your lungs and thoughts in your mind is because it's a part of the creator of everything's plan for your life. If you want purpose that brings you contentment on the deepest level, I believe that the one who made you is the only one that can bring it. Josh and Carrie are going to finish with a song that really hammers home this idea. As, as they kind of lead us in this song, I want to encourage you to stay pondering that thought. Why did God bring you around? What has God done for you that makes his worship worthwhile, that makes him be the one that you should turn to.